daughter. And, um, but we are in the third week of our series that we just called First. And here at the beginning of the year, we're in the first month, and we just was just heavy on my heart for us to uh, look at getting first things first, just what it really means <clears throat> to have things in the proper order. And of course, we, we began to look the very first week about that anything that's actually life-giving, it begins with God. You try to remove God from something and you've removed the life from it. It cannot exist. It cannot be life-giving without God. I don't care what area of your life, what area of the world you're looking at, if things aren't, if God is removed from it, it's not life-giving. And so since everything that's truly life-giving has God involved in it, begins with God, then last week we looked about, okay, well then we need to seek God first. And the Word of God is just full of that, that we need to seek Him and seek Him first. Well, this week, then we're <clears throat> taking that next step. And so here in seeking God first, we find ourselves, we will find ourselves keeping relationships first. Okay? You cannot, you cannot separate loving God and, and loving people. Loving God and loving others are inseparably tied together. They are totally linked. If we're going to live for God, we're going to pursue God, we're going to seek after Him, we will automatically find ourselves working on our relationships. Why? Because God loves people. You know, we already looked at the scripture just right here when we were, when we were thinking about our giving, about looking at the scripture the scripture and the truth on the fact that uh, that God gave heaven's best. And so and he gave it for humanity. And so as we begin to seek God, we cannot we cannot begin to try to have some sort of religious relationship with God and and ignore our how that impacts our relationships with others. Now uh, <clears throat> I've mentioned you know before we've got five kids and there's you know lots of discussion in our house and for some reason my youngest Carson pardon me I'm being a little dry throated here um uh yes I do thank you dear God takes care of me through my wife yes oh much better anyways uh Carson has for some reason decided lately he wants to know a lot about Whenever I was growing up and just been asking a lot of questions, he's our, our uh, seven-year-old, about to be eight next month, and he's just been asking a lot of questions. And I had some tight friends that I ran around with in, in high school, and uh, for some reason he's really honed in on one of them. And um, there's a friend of mine named Angel Avalos, which Angel is a guy. I had a friend of mine tell a story that I related, and he said Angel was a girlfriend of mine. Angel was not a girlfriend of mine. Angel was a guy. And... Uh, um, Anyways, uh, uh, we, his family pronounced it the, the proper Spanish pronunciation of Angel. And we would try to say Angel and everybody else would say Angel because it's spelled Angel. And so I'm talking about this and most of us ended up shifting and just called him by his last name, which is Abalos. And then we just dropped it and called him Belos. And for the most part, you ask Carson, the guy's name is Belos. Well, then I said that his name was Angel. He's like, Angel? You know, that, that's a girl's name. What's Angel? I was like, well, we, it's, it's pronounced Angel. And a lot of times we would even call him, 
and we would just drop the on off of it, and we would just call him hell. And not like in a bad kind of cussing way, but just G-E-L, pronounced the Spanish way, hell. And um, so, but when all Carson heard was that we called him hell, and he immediately just looked at me, and just without a, a moment's thought, he said, Dad, how long have you been a Christian? Because in his mind, there was just, there just inseparably, there's just no way that I could have been a believer and calling one of my friends this bad word, which I wasn't. I had to explain to him. But he, he just, he instinctively knew it. If, you're, if you were a believer then, then you're going to treat your friends better than calling them bad words. There's just, it's just tied together. He automatically questioned, well, Dad, when did this whole you and God thing start? And because uh, this just isn't this just isn't making sense. He understood what John had to say there in First John. It says we <clears throat> we love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Wow, strong words. Not that he's confused. Not he's misinformed. He's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, God has extended his love into our lives. And if we have embraced that, then we're not going to be a dead end for that. We're not going to be a dead end for the love of God. There's a reason the dead sea is the dead sea and that nothing lives in it. It's because it has inlets and no outlets. It has sit there and all these salts, all these things have come in and have created an environment where there is no life. Life cannot exist there. Why? Because it has been poured in only and there are no outlets. It is not coming out. It is a stagnant sea. Even though it is huge and massive and ought to be teeming with life. There is no outlet there, and it has cut it off. That is the way we are with God. God has poured out his love for us, and if we are going to sit there and grow in that, that love has got to be manifest. It's got to show up. It's got to come out in some way. And the way that's going to do is to the other things God loves, which are people. Now, I'll tell you what. Most of us, we think about the frustrations we have in our lives, okay? More than likely, there's a human face tied to your frustration. More than likely. Okay? Maybe your car's on the fritz right now and, and you know, that's giving you problems. But you can fix that pretty easily. And if you're having a trouble getting it fixed, there's probably the human face of a mechanic that's giving you some issues. But usually in the long term, big problems in our lives, the things that really stress us out and keep us up at night, It's got a human face attached to it. This dealing with others part is one of the biggest stressors in our lives. And the reason for that is because God designed us and wired us to operate ultimately in harmony with others. And that's why when there's not harmony there, it creates inner discord. There's something innately there that we understand something's out of whack something is wrong we can deal with a lot of other things in our lives but when relationships are out of whack then man i tell you what it just really messes our lives up matthew 22 
37 through 39 says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is it. This is why dealing with people is such a big deal. Because they are so tied together. Loving God is the very first commandment given. And the next one related with it is you've got to love others too. You just can't have the one without the other. So now we're going to look at the fact that this loving others thing, it begins with our family. Now at Celebration Church, family is a big deal to us. And so we want to create a church that has a family environment. We want to have a church that has a family vision. We have a church that cares about kids and and people all through life. And that God wants to utilize all of us all the way through. And that, that it begins with family. Now, back in uh, 2008, when God was dealing with Cutie and I, that God was going to carry us in, the, in our assignment in ministry in a new direction, then he, he had us do something fairly unique. I said, we, we have uh, a seven-member household, and we got our, our two dogs. And uh, we had... Uh, um, really dug some real deep roots here and had owned some property and some different things here. And God really just moved our hearts that he wanted us to to see and to visit some, some other places around the U.S. and let him create a vision, create a, a, a game plan for the kind of ministry he was going to do in our hearts. And part of the piece of that was mean we were going to have to be mobile. So it was, okay, we want you to sell everything and to to get this mobile living quarters and travel for six months to a year, which was what we did. And we began to tell people, okay, we're about to buy this RV, this motorhome, and all seven of us are going to live in it. People are like, seven people in a motorhome? And, you know, it was, uh, you know, it only has one bedroom. And so me and Cutie got that bedroom. And uh, so all the five kids just had to be in the dining room, living room, kitchen part of it. And everybody was like, oh, you're absolutely crazy. And I'm like, okay, this, this is either God or it's not. And if, there, if it's God, there'll be a grace for it. If it's not, man, we're going to be parking that thing in a hurry because we're going to be all over each other. And uh, it was absolutely, absolutely an amazing time for our family. We spent 24-7 together. In this little bitty, well, it's a big motorhome, but it's square footage-wise, it's this little bitty environment. And you know what was incredible? God knitted our hearts together like never before. Our family came out of that, those months, tighter than we had ever been. We'd always been a tight family. But I'm telling you, just being there, experiencing life together, all of these different things, we could not tolerate any tension we could not. There was no room for it. You couldn't go and pout somewhere. You couldn't get away. So consequently, we had, to, we had to have this by nature. We had to have this basically there's no tension. We've got to get, if there's any problems, we've got to deal with them quick. Why? Because there has to be harmony when there's all seven of us in a motorhome. And that environment was so life-giving and so wonderful for our family. So much so that we were on a little bit of a break at my parents' house in Odessa, and um, which they had a, a good-sized house with 
uh, four bedrooms and plenty of room for us to sprawl out and, and not be on top of each other. We're like, okay, we're going to be able to all have our own space and figure we'd just kind of go to everybody, go to a corner of the house and have some me time. And uh, we look up and we were, one of us was on the uh, uh, internet in my old bedroom and uh, it wasn't just a few minutes. And here comes one kid, here comes another kid. And all of us are in that one bedroom. All seven of us and the two dogs are all hanging out in that one bedroom just having a blast, just enjoying it. Why? Because it was such a life-giving thing that family is supposed to be this nucleus where it creates life, not this place of tension where we're just trying to get away from all the time. God created family to be this life-giving thing. Sadly, it's not always there, but we have to understand that God wants it there, and loving others begins there. And we're going to look at, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, okay? And it says, honor your father and mother, okay? All your moms and dads, this is the scripture they're talking about two theaters over, okay? So they always talk about, they're, they're always learning piece of whatever we're learning here over there. We want to be tracking together. They're, they're, they're learning this over here right now. And honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Okay? When the Israelites wanted their, these commandments, they had initially they had been invited into the presence of God themselves, but they were intimidated. So they send Moses. Say, Moses, you go, you go get us some rules. You go find out what God wants to say, and then you bring it back to us, and we're going to do it. So here, here come the rules. Here come the, the Ten Rules. And we look at this list of rules. We all know them as the Ten Commandments. And the first four all start out, and it's us having a relationship with God. Remember, our first commandment is love God. Okay? The next greatest commandment is love others. First four of the Ten Commandments deal with honoring God. Obviously, have no other gods before me. Don't have any, any idols. Um... um no, using the Lord's name in vain and keeping the Sabbath, which is the, the regular worship. So we have the first four are all dealing directly with our relationship with God. Okay? The last five, okay, are, are us dealing with others. Okay? It's the don't steal, don't murder, don't bear false witness, don't uh, um, want, to want your, somebody else's stuff, the coveting thing, number 10. All of the last five are dealing with other people, okay? These, these rules, these, these boundaries. The one that hinges them together is the one that, that no, none of the other commandments have a promise tied to it. But number five, the one that hinges the, the first chunk with the second chunk has a promise tied to it. So you do this and your life's going to be blessed. It's gonna, it's, you're going to have a good life. And that one is honor your father and your mother. Why is that one so pivotal? Why does the dealing with God and dealing with others, why is it hinged by that? Why? Because that is the first relationship we deal with. That is the first set of others we come in contact with. And that honor, it's a different kind of, it's not love and think they're the greatest thing on the face of the planet and always do whatever they say all the time, okay? Especially as grown adults. But we never, ever, ever get away from the honoring father and mother thing. It's not something for little kids and, okay, once you're 18, boop, 
you got the escape clause and you don't have to honor mom and dad anymore. No, this is, this is a permanent part of uh, how God wants us to interact. And why this, this honor thing is just this, this, this place of respect, this place of, of purposing to try to keep life in that relationship, of allowing them, if God wants to speak a piece of wisdom through them, of leaving that channel open. Not that everything that, they, that mom and dad are going to have to say is a direct word from God, but that you're not going to cut them off and say, God, you can't use this set of people in my life anymore. You're going to honor and keep this relationship there. If we don't, and of course, that's the nucleus of family. Father and mother are the nucleus of family. God created that, that beginning place. That if when, for us, our, our core relationships begin right there. With our loving each other, it is totally tied to the way family operates. We learn how to not steal, not destroy other people. Where? In that family unit. That's where God created that to operate the new testament has a lot to say on how we deal with family ephesians chapter 5 gives us a commandment husbands husbands love your wives okay don't you we wish we would have stopped right there all husbands we have our definition of what love is right we can make up our own i'm loving you because i'm doing this oh no paul has to go in here and put the definition of what love, loving your wife looks like. Yeah, the darn comma. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What a standard. What a beautiful, glorious, awesome standard, men, husbands, for us to pursue and to live for. To always purpose to be that valiant knight in her life, to, of giving ourselves up and trying to mirror Christ's love in that relationship. I tell you what, if kids grow up in an environment watching that happen, where dad is trying to love mom like Christ loved the church, maybe mom gets out of bed and she's crabby in the morning and dad is patient and loving and and put that and kids watch that happen. Oh my gosh, how incredible! What an incredible discipleship moment that happens with no Bible opened up. It's just lived. And God just has oh, it's so beautiful. Let's look at First Timothy, chapter five. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith. And is worse than an unbeliever? Okay, love has this tangible thing to it of helping to, to put, you know, food in the belly and a roof over the head. You know, that's why dads have this compulsion and especially dads who love God that, you know, and they want to they wanna work and provide and do all that they can. Why? Because there's this thing that understands that, man, that part of my loving is in helping to meet these needs. Now, we can go overboard with it, gentlemen. We can go overboard with it. We can hide at work and, and, and be obsessed with success and all those things. But, man, there's this place where we take this responsibility seriously. Titus chapter 2 says, <clears throat> You must teach what is good in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women 
to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. This is just part of church life, of growing in Christ. It's part of being a believer. This is the thing where he talked about, he opens this with sound doctrine and us just loving each other. It sounds like that should be a given, but just learning to just love each other and be patient with each other and and create a, a nurturing home, that's just part of just good sound doctrine, of good worship of God. The next thing we'll look at is that the health of key relationships in our lives is more important to God than anything that we can try to do for Him. Anything we can try to to do. We try to slip in the religious doing thing and we ignore the relationship thing and God's going to say, uh-uh-uh, you come back and you deal with this relationship stuff. I don't care how much you try to strive for me and your whatever you call religion over here. You come over, you better fix this relationship stuff first. We went out to the range yesterday. Lulu's going to go on my... my uh, youngest daughter, she's going to go out and get her uh, get her first deer tomorrow. So uh, she's excited. She's prissy, which I can't believe that she wants to hunt. And uh, so, but she does, and it's exciting for me. She normally gets the the bonding time with her mama and shopping and all that kind of stuff. She gets some daddy bonding time with some some gunpowder and outdoors, and it'll be fun stuff. Now I'm probably going to have to get her some little pink camo hat and that kind of stuff. But that's all right. We can deal with that. And uh, she's already got a little cool pink knife and a little pink flashlight, and uh, it's exciting. So I take her out to the range, and i got to make sure she can, like, shoot. And uh, she shot a little BB gun before, but she's not ever shot something with a little bit of juice behind it. And I uh, got a little two twenty three, and I uh, uh, took her out and had her shoot, and she did a fantastic job. And while we were out there, we were letting everybody else shoot and had uh, Ian Moore out there, and he was shooting a little twenty two, And uh, so... Keenan had loaded it up, loaded the clip, and out there shooting, shooting. And uh, anyways, it comes his turn, and he's just, you know, nothing's, nothing's happening here. And uh, he's like, you know, there's something wrong, Keenan. There's something wrong. Keenan's like, pull the trigger harder. He's like, I'm pulling it. There's something wrong. And so sure enough, just simple inspection. You go up, and Keenan had forgot to just chamber one. You just got to pull the slide back, and it puts one in. And it's a little semi-auto, and the explosion of each cartridge makes it move, makes the action work. Well, you take that out, and everything else can be in place, but you don't have that effect taking place, and it doesn't work. It's designed to fire, designed to do a semi-auto, designed to self-load, but it doesn't have that pop. It doesn't have that little explosion. It doesn't move the action. See, our relationships and how that, that is where the life really happens when, with us with God. That's where the fruit of the Spirit begins to show up. That's where the gifts of the Spirit begin to operate is in relationships. You try to disconnect relationship, it's removing the cartridge. It's removing that key piece. And you say, what's going on? I don't feel any real life in my relationship with God. Are you working on your relationship with others? No? Well, then there you go. You can't really ultimately, long-term, grow in your relationship with God and ignore all of your other key relationships. They are totally tied. I love this. 
I love this here in Matthew chapter 5. It says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. They, they would make these pilgrimage. This altar was in, a, was in a specific place. It was in there in Jerusalem. And they would come from all of these different places to come and worship there. And they would have their gift to bring to the altar. And he says, you know what? This is so important. That if you get there and you come to do your, your, your religious act of worship. You come to do that. Which was what was required. It was a good thing. When they weren't just trying to hide and go through the motions or something. It was a good thing. And they come through and you remember that you have an issue in one of your key relationships. You just put all that on pause. And you go back and you get this right. And then you come and you deal with that. You move forward with that. It was a good thing. There was nothing wrong with it. Jesus was making sure and establishing the fact that we can't go over here and say, I'm doing all this so my relationship with God is totally good. Even though I just really, I just really like to smack that person. I just prefer if I never saw him again. I never want to deal with that person ever again. This hatred issue. We, frustration's one thing. But when things shift into hate and you just don't care. We, we all know when we've crossed the line. We all know when things have gotten ugly. That is that place that you need to go and you need to deal with it. It is a big deal to God and if we don't here at the beginning of the year when we're wanting to seek God first if we don't have our eyes open to the fact that when while we're seeking him he's going to talk to us about our relationship man husbands are you get back on this you know we're told that if we don't deal with our wives right it can hinder our prayers Woo! I tell you what there's been a lot of times I've gone into prayer for one thing and God start pe- speaking to me about some way I treated her. <laughs> Thank you, dear. But it's true. It's true. Why? Because they are so connected. They are so tied together. So the last thing we want to hit on here is that God wants to lovingly grow us so that we can lovingly be used in the lives of others. Okay? This is thing. God manifests himself through people. I tell you what, the, the God has shown himself so strong in my life through the, my relation, key relationships with other people. And God wants to do that through me and in other people's lives. Let's look here at Matthew chapter 7. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others... You will be judged. And when the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Don't pay any attention to the plank. You got a whole piece of wood sticking out of your own eye. And you're looking at the little sawdust over here. How do you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. When all the time there's a piece of wood plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now see, what it doesn't say is just be self-focused and deal with yourself and the fact that the issues of your brother don't matter. It says deal with your issues and then God can use you to deal with those little things in other 
people's lives. But you've got to be willing to let God deal with those. We, God uses this iron sharpening iron thing to keep us going in our lives. Let's look at this next scripture. Because Jesus puts this into practice in John chapter 8. It says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Okay, let's first put this into perspective. Okay, they caught her in adultery. All right, it wasn't rumored that she had adultery, and they saw her having some coffee, and they went and grabbed her. They caught her in adultery, okay? But yet here they just got the woman. You know, the question is, is where's the man? What happened here? Something's already out of whack. Something's already goofy. <clears throat> And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. And Jesus bent down. I'm going to pause right there. Okay? And Jesus bent down. Okay? So he goes down. When you go to, you're in a group, you go to bend down. Something key is about to happen. Now, I think that everybody initially thought one thing was going to happen, and then Jesus goes a totally different direction. It says, And Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down. And wrote on the ground. As you continue to read the story. Then, then <clears throat> he, uh, as he's writing down the second time. says from the oldest men there towards the youngest. The oldest men acted first. And they had stones in their hands. And they dropped them. And you just. You just start hearing these stones. And they just start quietly peeling out. Till finally. It was just Jesus and the woman. And he asked her. Where are your accusers? There aren't any. She, he says, well, neither do I accuse you. Go and don't do that anymore. Don't sin anymore. See, I love this incredible picture right here. See, obviously there, they, you know, their pavement, all that, there was, it was dirt roads. There were stones everywhere. I don't think they had to go to the stone store and buy some stones and everybody bring them. I think when Jesus bent down, they were all expecting him to go down and pick up a rock. I think that woman's gut went. When she saw the teacher begin to bend down. She, this is it. This is it. My life is over. But something beautiful. Happened while he was on the ground. He starts writing. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. Lots of people have speculated. The funniest one is that somebody speculated that he starts writing the names of all of these men's mistresses. <laughs> and the old guys figured out what was happening in a hurry, and they just started leaving. I don't know. I don't, that's funny, though. That is funny. I don't know what he writes. Um, I've, obviously, it was inconsequential because it's not included in the story. But what this is what's cool. Is here, there, we see the finger of God in the Bible right three times. Three times. Okay. The first time we see and we hear about it in Exodus 32, where Moses comes down with these 
tablets, these Ten Commandments that we just talked about a little bit ago. Okay? And he comes down and says there in Exodus 32 that the tablets were the work of God, the handwriting of God. That God is the one that on the first batch, he etched those. Now Moses gets mad there in Exodus 32, breaks them because Israel went crazy while he was up on the mountain with God. And then Moses has to, he has to write the second batch. And, uh, but that first batch, God writes them. And it's the, it's the laws, okay? The first time we see the finger of God writing, it's the laws, okay? The next time we see it is when we read through and we'll eventually get to Daniel, okay? And Daniel's one of the prophets. And they're one of the stories in Daniel is that they're having this party. And this king is having this party. And all of a sudden, this hand shows up in the middle of air. Just this disembodied hand shows up and starts to write on the wall, okay? Everybody freaks out, obviously. Everybody at the party sees it. It's freaked out. The hand disappears. Writing's still there. Okay? And they end up having to have it, this call for Daniel, and have this interpreted. And when we have it interpreted, the first part of it says, you have been weighed and measured and been found wanting or lacking. You've been measured and you don't measure up. The first time, we see the standard, the Ten Commandments. The second time, you've been measured and you don't measure up. The third time, we see the hand of God right there on the end of Jesus. As they're being accused and being pointed back to those Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. And he sits there and he comes up and he says from that point, neither do I accuse you neither do i accuse you we see total place of forgiveness the standard was held we didn't measure it and in christ we don't have any accusation we don't have any accuser we are free in that place see we have to in our relationships we have to be able to have that kind of grace we have to be able, if somebody in our life is caught in the act and is dead to right, and we can be judge, jury, and executioner and choose to say, God, I want life here anyways. I want life anyways. That's the only way we're going to be able to get through and see true life in the key relationships in our lives. Is say, I want life here anyways. Yes, they're wrong. Yes, they're whatever. But God, I want life here. Bring life into this situation. Do this through me. See, God desires that we have true life and that the true life that he alone gives and that this life impact every relationship that we have. Man, I tell you what, Celebration Church, we purpose to be a come-as-you-are church. Why? Because that's where God meets us, is where we are. And I love the last song that we sang from the inside out because that's where God does his work. And you know what? Some of the last places we begin to see the hand of God on somebody's life is on the outside. And he's been working on the inside the whole time. That's why we have to just live by this as individuals and as a church and just desperately cling to this, that we're not going to be a judgmental people. But we're going to hold to the truth of the life change that a relationship with God brings from the inside out. This morning, as we close... I just appreciate it if everybody would just bow your head and close your eyes. And we want to create a quiet moment here.